don't we uh, have a look at Acts chapter 2. Open up your Bibles. This is the account of, of Pentecost. Remember, Acts is volume 2 of Luke's gospel. Luke and Acts really should go together. In your Bibles, you'll find John's gospel wedged in between. But Luke was a doctor. He wasn't one of the original 12. He set out to write an account for Theophilus, a lover of God, to set out everything that had happened regarding Jesus' life as well as the early church. So his gospel, Luke's gospel, is the story of Jesus' life and his ministry. And Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, is the story of the early church. So we're early in Acts. It's Acts chapter 2. This is the account of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. What good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to explore this uh, passage of Scripture, this famous passage, this really significant event of you sending your Holy Spirit out upon your church, we, we again pray for a fresh outpouring now. We again declare our need for more of your Spirit in our lives, in our day, in this place, at the end of the earth, Lord. Draw near, send your Holy Spirit afresh, a fresh outpouring, a new Pentecost is what we desire today, Lord. 
By your spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear you talking to us now. We pray that we might see something new in this very familiar passage, Lord. We pray that it might be a source of great encouragement, perhaps a source of challenge. We pray that we might come away empowered, equipped, Lord. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray for less of me and more of you in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said. So who is this Holy Spirit? Well, in in John's Gospel, towards the end of his Gospel, Jesus is teaching his disciples. In both John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, uh, Jesus tells his disciples that he is sending the Holy Spirit. He's trying to tell them that that he's not going to be around physically with them for much longer, but that he's sending his Spirit to, to equip his church. Now, the Greek word that's used here by Jesus in describing God's Holy Spirit is parakletos, or the, the paraclete. Now, it, it, is, a, it is a word that, that has a meaning of, of to be by one side, or to be a, a helper. It can mean an intercessor, like an assistant, a, a helper, or a, or a comforter, or, or a strengthener, is what this parakletos is, this Holy Spirit. It also has a legal sense about it. It has a sense of being one's counsellor or one's advocate. It is one who speaks on your behalf, like in a courtroom. Um, I'm told, I've never been dragged before a court before, but I'm told that you can hire something called a barrister. Is that the right one, Paul? A barrister? And the barrister will speak on on your behalf. So it has the sense of of an advocate or a counsellor in a legal sense. Isn't that good to know? That, um, that your minister's never been dragged before a court, but also the fact that, uh, that you have a parakletos, you have a, a counsellor, an advocate, one who can speak for you, a, a comforter. If you can afford the beer. Well, the Holy Spirit is free, praise God. I had an event uh, this week, speaking of being last week, I was out offering prayer, and a guy couldn't believe that I was offering prayer for free. He wanted to pay me for my prayer. When he said, when I told him it was free, he walked off and told me it must be a scam. But this is the, this is the scandal of the good news of Jesus Christ, friends, isn't it? God has done all the work for us. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior graciously while we were still sinners. And he sends his Holy Spirit as his gift to empower us for free. This is extraordinarily good news, I think, for anyone who seeks to be a part of the church or lead the church in these increasingly uh, difficult times. Now, the immediate context that I also want you to be aware of, uh, that I think is very important to be aware of, in the previous chapter of Acts, in the first chapter of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus uh, is, is getting ready to ascend into heaven. So 40 days after his resurrection, he walked and talked and ate, with his followers, with his disciples, at one stage appearing before hundreds of people. And and 40 days later, he was taken back up into heaven. Just before that, he gives his disciples a command in Acts chapter 1, and he says to wait. He says to wait for the gift that my Father has promised. So this this is about the only prerequisite that we see for the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's no formula. The Spirit moves as he wills. The Spirit, by the way, is, is not an it. Don't describe the Spirit as an it. The Spirit is a, is a member of the Trinity, of the, of the Godhead. One God in, in three persons or, or three personas in the original Latin, which is how the Trinity was thought of. The early church 
experience Jesus as God, God in the flesh, God in skin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Logos, and the Word was God. Or have a look at Colossians chapter 1. All things were made by Him and through Him and, and for Him. So they experienced God as God the Father from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. They knew Jesus was God, and they experienced the Holy Spirit as God. So the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God moving and living and empowering us in our lives today. But Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so obediently waiting seems to be the only thing that we need to do. They gathered together this infant church, this embryonic church of only about 120 people were gathering together, we're told, and they kept on gathering and praying. So that is, that is the context here. There's no formula, there's no checklist, simply to continue to gather and to wait and to patiently pray. It's very important that the church continues to gather together. For those of you watching online, we hope that you will come in and join us in person, to gather in person at some stage, to come and join us in person, to gather together and to prayerfully wait for the Holy Spirit to come and blow mightily once again through our city, through our people and through our church. Now, I also want to make it very clear to you um, that, that in Acts chapter 1, that this gift of the Holy Spirit uh, is given uh, in order that we might be empowered for world evangelization. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is where Jesus tells the disciples to wait. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is very clear about what this gift that is coming is for. You will receive power when it comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And that is indeed what happens in chapter 2 that we just heard read. They are all together in one place, and they sound like a, 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 a mighty wind, a rushing of the mighty wind, uh, like the songs that we sang at the start of our service described, the rush of a violent wind. It wasn't just a zephyr described as a, as a violent wind came and, and filled the house and what looked to be a tongues of fire came and, and rested on each of the disciples. And not only that, they were given this miraculous gift of being able to speak in other languages, uh, this gift of, of tongues. Now, the first thing that I really want you to see about the significance of this event is that it spilled out into the community. This, this joy couldn't be shut in. It couldn't be contained. This was a church that was seen and heard in Jerusalem. So I think this is a challenge for those of us at a church called Church in the Marketplace. Let's make sure that our joy isn't shut in, that it isn't stifled, that we don't lock it in and keep it to ourselves. Let's make sure that we are being seen and heard by our community, by our city. There was a, a great ruckus and, and we are told in verse 11, that there are it's actually 15 different people groups that hear the disciples speaking in their own mother tongue. So 15 different groups, uh, they hear these disciples talking. And what are, they, what are they doing? What are they talking about? Verse 11 is key, if you've got it open in front of you. Verse 11. They are declaring the wonders of God or the mighty works of God. So this is a reversal of Babel. If you were with us for our Genesis series a couple of months ago, uh, we finished with the story of the Tower of Babel, where the, 
The, the tribes of earth were scattered and their, their languages were confused. This is a reversal of Babel. Different languages coming together for a common purpose. It tells us that there is a wonderful unity in diversity here at, at Pentecost. It tells us that every language is an appropriate vehicle for giving praise to God. Isn't that good news? Every language is an appropriate vehicle for singing God's praises. Every attempt down through history that have tried to sort of co-opt various different people, groups, and cultures and bring them together under one glorious empire has failed. But here at Pentecost, the different people, groups, are singing God's praises, declaring the wonders of God, each in their own tongue, each with a unified spirit. I reckon that's great news. But verse 11 is key. Each of them hear them declaring the mighty works of God or the wonders of God. The timidity and fear and indifference of the church is blown away as they are filled with, with God's Spirit. God's Spirit is unleashed and they cannot keep it cooped, cooped up. They cannot keep it in. They, they are going out and they are declaring the, the greatness of God. I want you to note too the symbolic, something that I had never seen before, uh, the symbolic nature of this happening on the festival of the harvest. The gift of tongues here is something that we often concentrate on in the church, particularly at Pentecost. Tongues is something that is, is strange and that draws our attention. But I want you to see that this is a contextual gift here at Pentecost. Why? Well, because it was the festival of the harvest. And all good Jews were expected to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So there was people, Jews from all over the known world, gathered together in Jerusalem. So this gift of tongues enabled the gospel to be proclaimed indeed to the very ends of the known world. This was a gift that was given in order to fulfill the gift, the, the, the Holy Spirit's end goal, that of world evangelization that Jesus had said. I'm, this Father's going to be giving you this gift so that you might be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And that is indeed what happened. The gift of tongues enabled these people, presumably from all around the Jewish world, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and take it back to their homeland. And indeed, a mighty harvest was sown, was reaped that day. Some 3,000 people came to faith that day as a result of Peter's spirit-empowered preaching. Uh, note here, too, um, that the spirit manifests on this day as, as in, in tongues, as the rush of a mighty wind, or as, as flames, which is why we, we're wearing red today. But it, it needn't always be that way. God's Holy Spirit is sovereign. He's God. He does as he chooses. Elsewhere in Scripture, he manifests in, in different ways. We think of him manifesting as a pillar of fire or of cloud in the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 4, a building shakes. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen's face glows. And of course, last week in Acts chapter 16, God sent an, an earthquake. So God manifests his power in, in, many, in many different ways. Why he chooses to do so at some times and not at others, well, that's part of his sovereign wisdom, I think. And I'll have a little bit more to say that just about at the end, when I think he chooses to to move miraculously. But throughout the church's history, breakthroughs of the gospel have occurred. We call, them, uh, we call them revivals, we call them reformations or great awakenings. Whenever God chooses to send his Holy Spirit to, to, to revive 
his church. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for another awakening. Amen? Ready for another revival. We need another revival in the Western world, in this English-speaking world, in this, this, uh, this land we call uh, Australia that seems to me fairly, uh, fairly reticent to hear the good news of Jesus Christ at times. But until the task of world evangelization is complete, and it is far from complete, there are many different people groups around the world that are yet to have a church in their own tongue, in their own language, in their own culture, that we are far from done when it comes to the task of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ at the very ends of the world. Until then, I believe it is our task to simply be obedient, to wait and to pray to seek more of God in our lives. I think too often we only think of the Holy Spirit about the flamboyant and the spectacular. But I want to tell you this morning, suggest this morning, that I think the Holy Spirit is at work in, in the life of, of every believer. I think when we only think of the work of the Holy Spirit with the spectacular gifts like tongues or, or prophecy or special words of knowledge or healing, I think we, we really put our blinkers on, we limit God's power. I, I actually think God is at work. His Holy Spirit is at work in all the little quiet ways that people are moved to love and, and to serve. I think the opposite is also true. I've come across some pretty flamboyant followers of Jesus in my time that claim to be spirit-filled, but when push comes to shove, they're actually quite brittle, I've found. Many of them who claim to be spirit-filled can actually be fairly brittle when the world starts to push back. So can I encourage you to not feel as though you're some sort of a second-class Christian if you don't experience these more flamboyant gifts of the Holy Spirit? Can I encourage you to be on the lookout for the work of the Holy Spirit by the, the best way to identify the work of the Spirit, I believe, is by the fruits of the Spirit. Are you familiar with the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5, I know many of you will have recited or remembered the fruit of the Spirit. Our kids in our kids' church have been working our way through them. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit or the evidence of the Holy Spirit being at work in someone's life. Can I encourage you to go out and to seek these things, pursue these things in your life? The danger is, of course, we take these things for granted. Churches like ours really only survive. I'm amazed, I'll be honest with you, I'm amazed some days that the church even is still running today, is still surviving today given the headwinds that are blowing against us. It's only because of faithful, quiet people who exhibit these fruits of the Spirit. People such as yourselves who turn up on a cold day with flus and who knows what sort of germs running around the place. Turn up, gather together, sing God's praises, encourage one another, exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Let's never take those little acts of love and kindness for granted. I also want to give you another little piece of context you might not have seen before about how the Spirit works. Have a look at where the story of Pentecost fits in the book of Acts. There's a story either side that I think is quite illuminating. 
This story is sandwiched between two everyday mundane things in the life of the church. Just before the story of Pentecost, at the end of chapter 1, we have a church election taking place. They, uh, they, they, they cast ballots to replace Judas. So it's the business of the church. And then immediately following the story of Pentecost, we find them doing the everyday stuff of gathering together for prayer, of listening to the, to the apostles' teaching, and, and to care for those in need. Pentecost is wedged in between the everyday, the institutional life of the church and the missional life of the church. Is that helpful? I don't think the Holy Spirit is designed to lift us out of our earthly mission. I reckon the Holy Spirit is given to us to drive us deeper in. So I'll leave you with what I think are some true signs of God's Holy Spirit. There's everyday power that is available to us. I'm very thankful that God still works in the flamboyant and the spectacular. I see no reason to think that God would have taken his spirit away. But I also want us to, to keep an eye out for our advocate, our counselor, our comforter, being at work in the lives of a sincere Christian friend who asks after our well-being and our health. In the life of those who take a stand against injustice in this world. The Holy Spirit is there empowering us in the grace of folk who go the extra mile for us. The Spirit is there providing us with the inner resources that we discover in times of crisis. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of those Christians who dare to swim against the tide of popular opinion. The Holy Spirit is there at work in the humility that enables us to admit that from time to time we're going to get it wrong. The Holy Spirit is there working in the lives of those people who fight for the rights of others, giving them resilience, stickability. The Holy Spirit is at work in those who surrender some of their own rights for the greater good. The Holy Spirit is at work within us when we summon the courage to share the gospel despite our own feelings of inadequacy. The Holy Spirit is there when we find joy in unexpected places. The Holy Spirit is at work giving us everyday power as we take on responsibilities that we once thought were beyond us. The Holy Spirit is there at work in us refusing to let the greed and selfishness of society take root in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is there helping us to always give thanks, even in hard, difficult times. I reckon the Holy Spirit is working in the life of every believer who rises above past hurts and failures and puts them behind them. The Holy Spirit is there at work in the life of the believer bringing peace in the midst of turmoil, in daring to laugh in situations where some others might curse. And the Holy Spirit is there in knowing ourselves to be children of God, even when we've been very unlovable. Amen? We could go on and on. But can I encourage you this week to 
be patient, to wait, and to ask for more of the Holy Spirit in your life. If the Holy Spirit does come upon you, can I encourage you to test it? It's important to test the Holy Spirit. But the benchmark will always be love. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter of the Bible, tells that the greatest gift of the Spirit is love. That Jesus-style agape love. And can I encourage you to be looking to Jesus himself. Jesus was the most Spirit-filled person, of course, to ever walk the earth. If you're seeking more of the Spirit, can I encourage you to look to Jesus, to be more like Jesus. That agape or agape, that, which is a Greek word meaning the sort of selfless love, a, a self-sacrificing sort of, of love. You'll find this love in churches today bearing every label, charismatic and Pentecostal, Baptist and Anglican and Presbyterian, and praise God, even the Uniting Church, amen, doing good things loving, showing Christ-like love, being his hands and his feet, showing his love, bearing everyday power to bring abundant resurrection life in Jesus' name, in this life and the next. Amen? Let's pray. Yes, Heavenly Father, we indeed ask for your spirit to fall once more. We declare that we are in need of your Holy Spirit. We can't do this in our own strength, Lord. It seems as though the headwinds of culture have turned against us. And so, loving Lord, we turn to you for strength and for power and encouragement. We pray that we'll never let ourselves become discouraged. We pray that we won't take the work of your Holy Spirit for granted in those dear, faithful souls who love us week after week, year after year, keep turning up, who keep phoning and texting and loving us. Lord, may we look to them and be inspired. And may we look to your Son, Jesus Christ, and be inspired. Grant us this everyday power. Grant, us, grant it afresh to us this day in order that we, your church, might be your witness in, indeed, Jerusalem, here in Sydney, Judea and Samaria, Newcastle and Wollongong, and to the very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.